Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Cab. It's Collateral Confessions. Uh, a little uh, digression now, a whole show that we do within Miami Nice with my undercover partner, Katie Walsh. This time, she's out of her undercover world. She's in a gray suit, made in Thailand, and uh, and she's she's in the back of the seat, you know, wax and lyrical about Nietzsche and uh, mansplaining jazz. We love it. Um, I'm just driving this cab around. I'm flashing my hundos. Flash, flashing five cheeky hundos um and look just like the world of uber pool today we have another passenger uh she's a best-selling author of the supernatural sisters series she's uh, an award-winning podcaster not for josie and the podcasts or it came from the deep which is a breakdown of her great book but for the phantom never dies she's got a great new thriller set inside of a radio station called graveyard shift which is on its way out and is the author of mockingbird strikeout yes she's writing for the marvels over here she just woke up ladies and gentlemen she is as unhinged as russell crowe and she sounds like him maria lewis welcome to collateral Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? <laughs> Let's go. So um, I can't contra- believe it's taken this long for the three of us to get into oh, a cab. Oh, so exciting. I can actually. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I'm not the biggest Michael Mann girly like you guys are and Collateral's my baby. That's exactly so what I, I was going to say. you guys to work through fucking six hours of black hat <laughs> and then 12 hours of fucking <laughs> Miami Vice on a fucking speedboat and shit. And I'm like, when are we getting to Collateral? Huh? When are we getting there? Where's... <laughs> Beatty coming up. <laughs> so yeah, that's exactly well, what I was gonna say. You People... have had the experience of me driving you around LA. Yeah. I was actually okay. So funny you bring that up because as I was doing a little sneaky rewatch of Collateral last night, well, really this morning, um, but I was recontextualizing it with my not so like long ago trip to LA where you were driving me around and we went to a sick Angels of Sea game. Angels! I think it but maybe it sounded was... like this. Yeah, Katie. Stop, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Blake has it on a fucking soundboard. I have it on the soundboard. <laughs> I have per- permanently put that on the soundboard. So good. But that's what I was thinking about. The bit where we went into that dodgy, but actually in hindsight, quite lovely car park run by two gentlemen who were just freelancing out there on a Saturday night. Um, that just little put two chairs in front of a lot. They were like, not, that was not official parking at all. They just yeah, said, but they... give us $40. They end, but they, you know what? They gave us, they were like, give us $40, but they also protected us from smackies. And I felt like that $40 actually got you quite far. 
because it got you the road warrior bit. It got you parked in yes. by 86 cars, which was funny for like 10 minutes. And then it also <laughs> protected us from smackies. So that was great. But that little underpass that we came, like we came off a highway and then under an underpass. This is one of the things I fucking love so much about Collateral. But specifically this Michael Mann film is I love somebody who really understands a city. And you see it yeah, for like, sure. in Heat. <laughs> you see it really well in Heat where he's like, Hey, when he does that little scene, the shootout scene at the um, at the drive-in cinema, right? And the specificity of like hitting those bumps and those divots and those bumps and those divots and like you could have just fucking shot that anywhere, but he chose to shoot it there. And then the physicality of the place impacts the scene. And Collateral for me is the best example of that from him because the parts of LA he's showing you, you really have to know that city or you really have to have spent time there to understand like what little even like the little road bridge he uses is like such a great weird yeah. visual it feel like it's it's the thing boys little fucking gritty film boys have been trying to do ever since because they watch something like collateral with a semi chub and they're like man he it's true detective season two they're like you know what's great <laughs> la it's gritty <laughs> And you know what I mean? There's something under the glamour and everyone's like, okay. <laughs> well, what I love about Collateral as someone who lives in LA is that it gets the geography absolutely right. Like when he picks up Tom Cruise and he says, how long is it going to take to this, you know, place? And he says seven minutes or eight, eight minutes, whatever he says. And like, as knowing me, knowing, I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. And then it, when he they go to club fever and they just like rattle off the street names it's like oh you know it's in k-town you show up it's like a korean club so i think there's a lot of movies that are shot in la where they're like chasing someone through downtown and then suddenly they're like running through venice and you're like there's no way that they could you know connect these two spaces together but they're just doing it through movie magic but michael mann is like no i want to be really rigorous about the geography of this place yeah I appreciate. it's he you also see it in tokyo vice like there's a real sense when he chooses a place to shoot there's a real sense of him it's not just something that he researches it's a place that he's embedded himself in and Blake I know when you were talking to him he was saying that he's like oh yeah we're ready to shoot Tokyo Vice or whatever just been living there for the past few years and it's like when you watch that show it feels like it it's not yeah. somebody yeah. showing you the same old Japan even though is it what's his fucking name? Engel Engels Inslaw, whatever. Um, baby driver. Ansel Even Elgor. though baby yeah, driver, they, just say baby driver. Even though, sorry, Blake. Oh, that's uh, that's his. I, I hit his weak spot. Oh, <laughs> He's gonna look. When she mispronounces names of things, hey Katie, it, it's my kink. I'm sorry <laughs> because she's so fucking smart. She's the smart one of the smartest people I've ever met. She's such a hard worker. Oh my god, is she a brilliant writer? But literally, she is Bill the Butcher of fucking murdering people's <laughs> names. She just murders them. And you're like, how did you? I know she can read. Like, she's read speeches. And I know she can write. But she just does magic with these words. And it's like a it's like a bit. And it's not a bit. It's the best. Anyway, sorry. It's my it's my weakness. She's right. Well, when fucking baby drivers chopping it up in Tokyo, it's like, yeah. yes, he even though he's like he's the gin he's the white guy navigating through that city so he's the vessel for the audience but as the other 
characters from the ensemble are brought into the fold, the parts of Tokyo that you're seeing are very specific and very like not not like locals only per se, but it's just like you've never seen the city quite. You've never seen a city the way Michael Mann sees a city, and it's one yeah. thing I always look forward to about his movies, even though I do know like all right, I'll see you guys next week. Like, this is going to take a while. <laughs> but when I'm sitting down, whatever place we are geographically, like, I'm really going to feel it because of the way he experiences places and the way he knows, because he's a fucking, like, one of the greats, because of the way he knows how to make that feeling interpret on screen for an audience. For sure, yeah. Yeah, he finds those little details of cities that feel lived in or, um, you know, not even under the radar, but just like you'd have to know the place really well to um, experience it that way. Yeah, Blake, what about, um, oh, yeah, Blake, what about uh, in Mr. In Between, one of our favorite shows? Yes. The way have you seen Mr. In Between, Katie? I haven't. Okay, terrific, well, ter love ter it. terrific Sydney-based show about a hitman who's just a single dad and so he lives like a life where he looks after his daughter and he's he f sort of moonlights as a security person at a nightclub strip club sort of deal but he's also a, a paid hitman and it's a terrific show like this complete auteurist vision it's amazing and literally last night i was walking i was picking up pizza from our favorite pizza shop near near um near near us the pizza maria i was picking up oh pizza my from god my shop what I, I wouldn't give for that garlic cheese situation right now <laughs> fucking, i would make a love to it sorry so we'll, but, but we're walking through a local suburb near uh, near me which is called padstow and there's literally an alleyway when you walk down that the, the lead character and mr in between beats up two guys and one of the guys runs away like i've, I've walked down it all the time I'm like ah. Oh. This is where he beat up those guys. This is awesome. Like I like it's like such a specific yeah. suburb in Sydney where it's like it is a nice kind of residential area. It's very multi-ethnic. It's a it's a great area, but also we're not far away from trouble. And so it makes sense that this guy would operate in this area. So like it's such a deep, like it's this deepest, deepest cuts of Sydney, like you you haven't seen in I think a really long time, or maybe ever. And that's again, like, you know, <clears throat> film boys with a semi-chub watching stuff. But like, it, I really do get the impression that the Edgerton brothers um, love Michael Mann in that way, because it's not just Mr. In-Between, although I think Mr. In-Between's the best example of it. And obviously so much of that is Scott Ryan, but, um, and David Bouchard and stuff as well. But The Square, their directorial debut, um, there's a scene where two characters are having an affair under a bridge right near Blake's house. And it's like, you <laughs> you have to know the city so well. And the opening shot of Mr. In-Between is the, the main character throwing a guy down a set of stairs um, for essentially like fucking up a bet. And those stairs are the pedestrian stairs that are usually guarded by a security guard for the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you never fucking see the Sydney Harbour Bridge, but and the only way you know those stairs is if you're on foot working, walking underneath it at water level around Darling Harbour and shit. And it's like, I'm sorry, Circular Key and shit. And it's like that the restraint 
to be an Australian show with American financing from FX that they're really like throwing their pussy behind it to go international and to not show the Sydney Harbour Bridge but to utilize the steps to them I was like oh okay they're they're really giving a shit about the story here in contrast to um another of Michael Mann's favorite films Power Rangers 1996 which is <laughs> set in Los Angeles but filmed in Sydney and they have this scene where the kids are having a fucking school like rollerblading competition and where the rollerblading competition is literally in between the fucking opera house and the Sydney Harbour Bridge set in LA set in LA and so <laughs> you can see them both in the same shot and I'm like you could have as the world the world over is set in Australia like you can pretty much shoot Australia for anything genuinely that's part of the reasons it's such a um it's such a sought after filming location and it's, it's very diverse physically but also like in urban environments very diverse as well the one thing you really can't do if you're trying to pass off Sydney for another place is put either the Sydney Harbour Bridge or the Opera House, <laughs> let alone both. I know. <laughs> is this the one directed by Brian Spicer? Which sure, one? if you still. The, I haven't really kept track of the directors. Um, yes, I'm, I'm, yes, I know. I'm just saying he should go. He should be in jail. He should be in director jail. Director jail. <laughs> it's, um, it's but yes, so Marty Morphin is the one. Yeah. yeah so Okay. Scott uh, FX in in the US, Mister In Between. Scott Ryan is the engine behind the show. The Edgerton brothers, Nash particularly, directs a bunch of the episodes and helped to co-write some of it. But Scott was like the main engine of it. Amazing guy. Had a chance to talk to him with our friend Jen Johans and uh, Jed Ayers and our buddy um, uh, uh, Rob Belushi. So that was super fun. And we were just all gushing at him. He's such an amazing guy. And like this whole great series just like fell out of his brain and it's just terrific so yeah really top show if you haven't had a chance to see it um well Maz speaking of cocaine gremlins like <laughs> we're gonna talk about fucking mark ruffalo being on one and i mean sorry blake i i hijacked the conversation no, I can that's see good we love we I love just... we love our we love our former coke felon Rob Belushi in our family he's <laughs> one of the funniest people i've ever met in my life and he and the other day it was the anniversary of goodfellas coming out and he's like hey coke felons this is our day <laughs> i was like okay um, you guys well, know that i went to college with him yes i went yes. to college with have Rob. you gone and got have i you, know have, the have, era have you gotten pizza oh my god we We've haven't got, gotten pizza yet you gotta get pizza to with Rob, but, also, but also katie wait can we just stop are you telling so. me that the early 2000s katie that we've seen in some of those like Facebook and Instagram flashback photos with the denim. That was the era. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Kate, yeah. Katie was in her thought era and fucking <laughs> Rob was out here playing. What's the guy from Goodfellas with the eyes? Who just Ray passed Leona. away. Ray yeah, that Leona. guy. Rob was in his driving the car looking at the helicopter. I'm just gonna I'm gonna say with love and respect, Rob was in his chaos era. She's chaos. <laughs> and I did date one of his frat brothers. Oh Jesus fucking Christ. Where's the podcast oh about this? I know. No, talk about a collateral none confession. None of this can be recorded. None of this can be recorded. We can do the Zoom, but it cannot be recorded or released. Let me so just say that. Funny. Oh Holy God. shit. Fuck, not a frat yeah. brother. 
I have so much yeah. respect for you, right? <laughs> they got kicked off the campus because of their substance problems. Oh my god, this literally sounds like the plot for Bad Neighbors. Well, I think it was just called Neighbors for you guys. But... Yeah, Neighbors, yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, they lost their house. <laughs> anyway. This is literally the plot of fucking Neighbors, and there's Zac Efron and Dave Franco. Oh my god. Yeah. And one was Rob Belushi, and Rob one Belushi. was the guy that I dated <laughs> for like a month. <laughs> wow. Anyway, yeah, we digress. You know what? I'm, 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 all, I'm here for it. I'm here. I'm so here for this digression. All right. Let's. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of deep cuts and in the cut, Mark Ruffalo. So uh. in this movie, so we've watched. This is the thing about Maria. So this is why I was so excited to get her on the show, Katie, is because like. Obviously, she knows I'm a manhead. She now that she like she she lived with me. She was on the entire journey with us and everything like that. And now that everyone who likes One Heat Minute tells her that they love Heat and that they love oh the show, and she gets so sick of it. And it's one of my great pleasures of her going like, "Shut up about this movie." <laughs> but but when we live together, as it happens, I don't know what the licensing agreement was between Paramount, maybe it was a pre-Paramount Plus thing, but definitely on Netflix, pretty much permanently while we lived together during the pandemic and, and around there, Collateral was just on Netflix. Mm. And so you do that thing where you cycle through the doldrums of like your recommended shit and it looks, it's all just garbage. And you're like, oh my God, what is this? And so then you just see like, would you like to watch Collateral again? And so I'd just be sitting in the lounge room and I'd go, and Maz would be usually working on a laptop and I'd just go, bing, and put it on. And my wife would get annoyed because, oh my God, here comes Collateral or here comes Jack Reacher for the 80th time with you two morons. And we'd both just be sitting there smiling, very happy, very satisfied. Like, yeah, this is <laughs> this is what's happening because it's the time of day. So we watched it quite a bit together and it was awesome. Like now discovering that we do the show together, Katie, I know that Collateral is your favorite. I was excited to talk to Maz, but like you've watched it a million times. So I just want to lead you anywhere. You talked about Ruffalo before. Let's get cracking with like, what what's where is it really vibing for you right now collateral because i know you'd like it as a machine as a storyteller as a screenwriter as you are but like where is it really vibing for you right now as you're as you're traveling with it well firstly just to talk about one heat minute real briefly um it's not just like that people come up to me like i love the show it's oftentimes even more annoying in the context of work, it's like the greatest fucking Australian filmmakers or screenwriters or producers who are like, no, I fucking love, or it's someone you're trying to shag. And they're like, oh my God, you know what's crazy? <laughs> Not like mid coitus, but like, in, <laughs> you know, in the fucking wine and dine in 69 stage, they'll be like, man, your best mate's sick. He's fucking one heat minute show sick. I'm like, Sure, absolutely. And I agree. That's what's so annoying. But it's just been said to me so many times. It's like turning me against you. But also <laughs> the amount of people now, because it's canon that I don't, I have a, I have a real appreciation for heat now that I do did not have before um, you doing the show. And, but I, you know, it's still not something I would like consensually revisit unlike a collateral, even a black hat to be fair. Consensually revisit? Well, you just fucking put it on all the time in your house. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, not again. Here we go. We get it. Crime is pain. Anyway. <laughs> but Did you just the... say crime is pain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with the... 
title of that. Usually it's Katie that comes up with the titles for the crime is pain is the one. But with the heat two stuff happening, it's become this bit where it's like, hell yeah, Maria doesn't love heat. I don't even know this woman. Let me like hit her up with all these heat two updates. I get a text a day probably from someone <laughs> with some shit about heat two or like a tweet minimum three to four a week with some stuff about heat two. I know more about this fucking movie than I've ever <laughs> wanted to know in my goddamn life. Cause people think it's so funny to send me heat two updates <laughs> because they're like, oh ha ha God. ha part of the bit. Trolls. <laughs> We'll be right back after say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This quick break. Collateral, what's vibing with you? It's his shortest film, as far as I'm aware. Is that correct? You guys are the real manheads. What's shorter? Yeah, uh, I think... Is Mohicans? No, Mohicans, it's close. It's it, Mohicans, Collateral. Um, like, you have to really go back and go, like, Jericho Mile, like, 96 minutes or something like that. Maybe, like, yeah. technically the shortest. But as far as, like, his more recent outputs, it's the only one that is sub two hours. Yeah, because it's, it's basically, like, two hours. But, you know, once you subtract credits and shit. And... Even then, still, uh, as I was watching it and, you know, I, I was, I'm was i always doing that thing where I'm like, if this was me, what would I change? What would I tinker? And Collateral is truly like one of my great rewatchable films that I just revisit all the time. So rewatchable. And so, yes, yeah, so rewatchable. And so there's few things I would change, but I think you could shave 15 minutes and really not lose much of the source. But that is the thing that really sticks with me. Is it like... It is in, it's out. You still have all of these like very like man core deep conversations about the meaning of life through the prism of crime. But then you also have this whole like the fucking these people just popping in for scenes and bits like Javier Bardem. Um, is it Javier Bardem? Is it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, it's, it's, cool. it's, him just, it's, it's him like three minutes before fucking No Country. It's like his first big English language film before No Country. And you have your Javier Bardem's. You have Peter Berg, for fuck's sake. You <laughs> Peter have Mar- Berg, who could care less about being in this movie. Dude, <laughs> so he's hilarious. like, guys, I've got to make fucking another film with Mark Wahlberg, dusty as fuck, carrying an AK-47. So let me clear this check and let me get that shit in development. 
but um, Taylor Kitsch is waiting. But it also has like the very slick, oily Mark Ruffalo. It has Jada Pinkett in one of my favorite Jada Pinketts. I think she's um, best in her two best movies for me. And I know this is like a weird thing to say. I mean, maybe like Matrix Reloaded or something like that. But like her, two of her best movies in her this part of her career are like Ali, where she's amazing as um, Muhammad Ali's first wife with Will Smith. And then with Michael Mann in this, she's fucking awesome in Collateral. Unbelievably good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing I really appreciate about Michael Mann is he's always putting, um, like, seamlessly and not in a tokenistic way, but he's always uh, putting women of different ethnicities into his movies in ways that are contextual and make sense. But it's also like it's never, um, it's never, never, ever something that's done in a way that's like, look what I've done because his whole, all yeah. of his worlds and his movies about authenticity. But it, I can just see this just like any other film, not any other filmmaker, let's say any other white straight filmmaker, that Jada Pinkett role is going to like an early career Jessica Chastain or something. You know what I mean? And the fact that it's her and the fact that Jamie Foxx and her have such great chemistry and their chemistry is between fucking like a taxi visor is crazy. Like just like yeah. that's hard chemistry to have her behind him, him in front. I know it's a movie set and shit, so you can like, you know, you're having shots that cut back and forth. But just that the way feels that... like the red room, you know, it's just the chemistry's on fire. <laughs> but that's the shit I love is like how tight it feels, how there's no wasted, yes. well, there's very minimal wasted time, the situation shit, the geography of it, and the final final act. Um, I guess you could say it's kind of got the mechanics of a slasher. Like, you know, yes. you're Michael Myers yes. and through a house, but though it's a fucking LA skyscraper. So you can see bits and bobs is such a fucking cool mechanism and such a great visual when you can see the whole city outside the window, but you can't get help is just so brilliant. It's just like such an awesome set piece to end on. I just, yeah, this movie is like a real, um, it's a grower, not a shower, and that it just hits the dial and just keeps slowly turning, 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 turning. And I love that about it. It's one of my, it's my favorite Michael Mann movie, I think, by quite a way. Yeah, it's it's my favorite too. Um, I mean, aside from Heat, sorry. Um, yeah, I was like, but we always say like, Heat's number one, we, and it's, then it's it's fine. It, like I, I, I mean. There was a time when Maria was like, give me um, Diane Venora's bangs in the jackal over your shitty heat movie any day. And so we've evolved past that. So this is okay. Like I'm, yeah. if pe people have their favorite, people have their favorite mans and I'm, it doesn't always have to be heat. And this is what I would reveal to everyone is like, there are some times because obviously you two know better than anyone else, how much I'm a journalism movie head that I could watch the insider Oh. At, at like I could watch The Insider and in the moment I'm watching it, it is my favorite Michael Mann movie. You know what I mean? Because it's just yeah. such a, it coalesces so many of my interests um, and and like actors and style and everything. It's just like, there are some times where you can watch a movie and there's been times with watching Miami Vice. I'm like, maybe this is my favorite because it's so big and brash and it's out there and, and, you know, and, and definitely had those moments with collateral too. So I, I, I don't begrudge anyone people like, Oh, I don't know what my favorite is or my favorite is something different than heat. It's okay. Like I get it. Yeah. Um, you have to be in a mood. The problem, yeah. 
the problem with heat is that men just like it so much. And I just find myself like immediately resisting that on every level. So the problem with heat is not the movie, but the fans. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Is what you're saying. It's fucking um, so annoying but I get about it. it. No, but it's like, it's, I mean, it, it's like when people don't quite understand like Martin Scorsese movies or something, it's like the problem is not the Scorsese movies. The problem is like the people discoursing about it, but. Yes. Um, it's like that if you go into, if you go in, if you go home with someone and you go into their house and they've got a Pulp Fiction poster on the wall, you're like, oh, oh fucking here we go. That hasn't like, happened it's just... since I was an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> and Katie's like, hey. oh, when I was an undergrad, it happened every week. <laughs> you know, it happened. She was the, the Pulp Fiction poster. <laughs> little bob and a little bit of like fucking adrenaline in her heart. Katie could to totally rock a Pulp Fiction um, cosplay. But anyway, so. Um... I did. I was, I was actually, when I dated Rob, Rob's, <laughs> frat brother i wore that costume the uma thurman costume for halloween i think there's like a photo of us the cocaine years baby okay 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 <laughs> rob will listen to this rob katie's coming on too much movie to talk about pulp fiction with you chris candy oh and my i God. and and she's gonna wear that outfit again um, we're gonna try and get her in the outfit oh my God, i have to leave I'm gonna find I have to find a wig. <laughs> yeah, we'll get you a wig. Oh my god. You gotta find so... a wig and a coat peeler and you guys are on. <laughs> yeah, it's we're we're off to the races. <laughs> um, but I, I love collateral for all of the reasons that you just described. Like I always I've talked about this before, but like when the body hits the car, when the mm. body hits the car. Um yeah. when the body hits the like... car, when the body hits the car. Sorry, I had to back you up. I had to back you up. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the, it's like minute 18. And mm. at that point, like we already know, we already ha are invested in this relationship between Jada and Jamie. Um, we're already invested in, we already know the, the, you know, we've seen this thing with, um, Vincent collateral we, you know, we know he's like going to start killing people now. So it's like, it's just we're the seeing economy Jamie Fox, of storytelling. Jamie Foxx speaking in Spanish to like where he fills up his car for yeah. petrol. There's that great Debbie Mazer and Bodie Elfman argument, which is the two young professionals in the back of the cab. Like, oh, you did this. Right. And she's like putting on makeup and she's like ripping into him. I'm like, oh, I love Debbie Mazer. She's so good. So like, she's good. good. She's good in everything. But like just that two seconds, like, I could watch that a hundred times. Like it's that great people watching element. You've had it, like it's literally, you've had it all in 18 minutes. And he's just yeah. looking at this, you know, uh, uh, town car brochure and then bang and the sam i love the sandwich and the lettuce and all this stuff just like yeah yeah exactly. through the car yeah. it's like it's that second you're like oh my god this is so much this is so so great and obviously we had jason statham at the beginning as well you've had it all like yes yeah. it the jason statham at the beginning is really testament to like you know some people are born with it some people aren't but nine times out of ten the difference between looking good and not looking good is money and that like you know jason statham now looks a thousand times better than jason statham back then and the difference is literally he got more money he's doing an led mask like he's fucking <laughs> you know all that stuff i was just like oh, hey jesus like you wouldn't look at that guy and be movie star per se if you hadn't watched the crank films but or maybe even um the fucking american um italian job remake but 
you know, many, many years later, he's like, he's our boy. He's Ben Wheatley's boy for Meg too. Let's fucking go. Yeah, he's he's currently riding jet skis and fighting giant sharks, and we're all here for it. We're absolutely here for it. And look at amazing. He doesn't punch that shark. <laughs> I'm gonna ask for a refund. This is the problem. Free press screening. <laughs> this is the problem with though, because like Lara Croft too does she punches the shark in the nose right in the opening 10 minutes which is awesome but the problem with meg and this is why big isn't always better necessarily sometimes if they had just like a slightly smaller shark but girthier we might have been there but it's like how the the threat the physical threat is so completely out of proportion because it's a fucking giant sh shark you know what i mean right. like you can't fight it can't punch the shark okay and you can't even have a good death because you're just swallowed. You can't have like your quint in True. fucking doors go in the blood bubbles and stuff because it's you're getting chomped entirely rather than piece by piece. That's what part of what makes it scary to get in by a shark. Anyway, it's a this Jonah, is a Jonah and the whale situation. Literally, literally. Um, the other thing I will say though that you just mentioned about like from when the body when the body hits the floor, when the body hits the car, the thing that really also gets me about this and i know i touched on Stu Beatty before but obviously the screenplay by Stuart Beatty, ozzy you've had him on shows before yeah, have you we, not we had him on this we had him on this show talking confirming that vincent's name he 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 accepted right. that it was vincent collateral was his name um uh, <laughs> as as the internet said and then he also said that um jason satham's character was the same character right. in the transporter universe um, yeah. um but more yeah. seriously he said that his name was not even vincent Yes. Okay. So obviously, yes. Fascinating. Brilliant. Love that. Um, I also love the um, Vincent Collateral is so funny because it's really like Declan McGinnis Jackal Corps. Um, so, you know, very particular to my interest. But I feel like the the secret source of this movie, as much as Michael Mann is such a great director, is the script. The script is fucking tight as shit. Yes. But it's also a, like, the, the length that you get is Michael Mann, like, you know, fucking mixing it up and doing some secret sauce with, like, let me do this montage of people, like, fucking in L.A. for a bit. And you're like, okay, cool, you do you, babe. But the tapestry of the mystery of, like, these bodies are dropping. You don't know why Tom Cruise is there. You don't really know what Jade is working on. These are all just like conversations and things that are happening incidentally. And this bigger theme of fate and like destiny and people being destined to interact and collide with each other. And this like immovable, like this, you know, force hits an immovable object kind of idea. That only works if you're a very patient storyteller like Stu Beatty is. And the way by the time the second or third body's dropped, you're like, okay. And Ruffalo's like, okay, but you still don't have all the pieces. And then when he gets to the club and he meets Felix and him and Javier Bardem are back and forth and you're like, okay, I get it. Okay. I understand what we're doing now. And it's such an interesting, like, I love an all in one night movie, yes. but something like this is so intentional. Like it ha literally has to be all in one night. So by the time you get to the finale and it's back full circle to our girl, I'm just like, fuck, this is good storytelling, man. Like, this is yeah. just it's one of those scripts you should study in film school because it just bangs. Yeah, it, it's such an amazing script. And yeah, the way it's so perfectly structured and circles back on itself and doesn't 
over explain. There's like a lot of dialogue, but it's not um, exposition-y. Yes, 100%. And also like the dialogue is contextual again. It's like, he's a cab driver. What do people do to cab drivers? They have chats. They have yeah. inane chats mm-hmm. oftentimes. And so in the that inane chatter, there's like little nuggets of information and nuggets of gold. And that's exactly what you said is the, the, the two, two things I want to tag. One was nothing makes me love what Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx are doing in this movie more than in those inane chats when you're watching Tom Cruise catalog things that he will then use later, say later to him, manipulate mm-hmm. him, do these things. He's kind of like that whole thing where he's like, not six, not seven, or how long you've been driving the cat? 12 years. And he's like, 12 years. Like just like the little looks that he gives. Cause it's like in so many of those passive conversations, you're not as a passenger for all of us who've written in, whether you've written in a cab, cabs or Ubers, it's like, if you're having an inane chat or like this very passive chat, you're not thinking that the person is cataloging this information necessarily to use against you. So it's just this great twist of like this very common thing that they twist. And it's just such a, it really cuts to the core of why Stuart Beatty's script is amazing. But the other thing is also, as you said, in that moment where Jamie Foxx's Max meets Javier Bardem and they're in the club together, I just can't get over how good Jamie Foxx's transformation is from the guy who has nothing to the guy who's like, we'll tell that guy if he keeps looking at me, I'm going to fucking kill him or whatever. And you're like, oh, like there and are layers you know how, to like, how good Jamie Foxx, like, because I think Jamie Foxx is good at so many things. People often um, undervalue the actual quality yeah. of, of things. Because he's like, he's a fucking brilliant comedian. He's a fucking great singer. He's a great dancer. He's a great actor. But it, he is such a fucking good actor. For you to believe mm. that Jamie, he has all this drip box, is this unassuming fucking down on his luck cab driver. I just don't think many people would have made that choice casting wise or seen the possibilities there. And then for him to make that switch in that scene, like it's one thing to make the audience believe that he's that character, but then it's another to midway through have to do that little pivot where he's trying to pretend to be him. You know what? You just nailed, I think, something that that's why he was cast. It's not for, it's not to be the cab driver for like, this is like a 90 minute to, you know, two hour movie, but it's like, it's not just that it's, I need a guy who can flip from being a cab driver to like a, a cold, like a cold killer and make people believe that and then flip back to being a cab driver. And it's like, this guy has got that range. And I think it's like almost that's the hinge point scene. I imagine that if man was casting it, it's like, there's a moment in the movie where you can't just be a cab driver. You've got to convince cartel leaders that <laughs> that you're a paid assassin and that you're, you're ready to go at the drop of a hat. And like on paper, there's just no way that you're like on paper, Mark Ruffalo is much more suited for the role of the cab driver and Jamie Foxx for the cop, a cab. But it just like that makes way, way, way the, the, the cop who's got a little bit of edge to him. That makes way more sense than what it is. But it takes Michael Mann sort of understanding that possibility. But also for me personally this is my favorite tom cruise performance yeah i feel like it's his best performance it makes me a little bit sad watching this movie because we know how he feels about um playing characters at this point in his career the tom cruise brand 
and the Tom Cruise legacy is such that it is uh, chances to see him play a villain are probably never going to happen again. They're gone. They're spent. I know. And it's funny as it is to see him play Harvey Weinstein in Tropic Thunder. Um, <laughs> this is a villain that was like not cartoonish. His actual sociopath, I think, is quite close to, you know, some of the worst stories you've heard about him um, and the Scientology movement and all that shit. But it's just like such an incredible, it's honest to God, such an amazing performance. It's like this guy has it. It's the difference between, I always talk about how there are people who are great actors and there are people who are great movie stars. And those are oftentimes different things, right? Angelina Jolie, I think is a really good movie star, but I'm not quite sure she's ever for me been like a great actress per se. And it's very few, rare, very rare that somebody can encapsulate both. And Tom Cruise, to me, is really like the epitome of that. Is like, what's something like collateral? And I know everybody, it's that fucking goddamn five hour one where he's like tame the pussy or whatever, Magnolia or something. Magnolia. Is that it? Oh, Magnolia. Fucking <laughs> goddamn. Feature what a way to describe Magnolia. On Thomas Anderson on One Heat Minute Productions, the five hour movie where he's Sorry. like tame the pussy or something, Magnolia. Sorry. That is that the one where Julianne Moore's like, I give these things to you, you, I give these things to you, you call me lady. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hate that movie. Don't yeah, you call I know, me lady? Where you call me? Um, I hate that movie. But everybody talks about his performance in that movie being like him being an amazing actor, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Watch Collateral because he has two hours to cook. And he has to slow roll the sociopathy and slow roll the malice. And that is fucking masterful. He's so good in this. Both of them. It doesn't work if Jamie Foxx isn't as good as he is. And it doesn't work if Tom Cruise isn't absolutely fucking on one. And the two of them mm. is just like, what a beautiful two piece. Like they're going tit to tit. They certainly are going tit to tit. God, everything that comes out of your mouth makes me laugh. <laughs> this is why she's, you're a best-selling author. She's good. She's good. She's <laughs> Let good. her cook. Let her cook. Let her cook. <laughs> Let her cook. Also a possibility <laughs> for a title of this episode, Let Her Cook. That is also Taking notes. He's taking notes. Taking notes. Crime is pain. Let I mean, her cook. <laughs> crime is pain. <laughs> Just makes what's me laugh fucking, so much. What's that fucking five-hour movie where he's like, tame the pussy or whatever? <laughs> It's Paul Thomas Anderson, you make isn't me it? Love. It is. It is. It is. Uh, I could. I'll be honest with you. I could really take or leave PTA. I know he's another one of your boys and another one of like that legacy of like Michael Mann PTA. Like that's important. But I don't know. Give me a Nolan joint any day over a PTA. See, I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> I know, I know. And that's why I love you, because I'm like, wow, the dichotomy. I found a chip from last the night. Dichotomy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was one of the fries I had when I got home drunk AF. Yum. <laughs> Amazing. Oh this my is God. yeah. God, I don't even know if there's anything more to say. You know what? There's not. We're gonna end it right there because we can't top that. There's no way that anything we could say after it could be better. Maria Lewis, we'll find another way to talk to you another time about another topic. 
God, it is so fun to talk to you about this movie. I know. We, we many... need we need you to just talk just come about in, whatever. I bucket of water, just tip it on the show every now and then, or come in like a fucking hurricane. We love you so much. Thank you so much. Um, do you want to do any active plugs? Because I know you've got like a virtual book tour coming up. Um, do you yes, want to do any yes. kind of active plugs? Yes. Yeah, it's so crazy when you actually like have <laughs> when you actually have publicists do their job. <laughs> it's been so long since I've actually had like functioning publicists on shit for a book that I've done. And Marvel's like, anyway, here's 52 states we're doing in 52 minutes. And you're like, ah! that's why they're the best. Anyway. <laughs> Um, my Marvel book, Mockingbird Strike Out, is dropping, I believe, end of June, start of July. I'm not sure on the specific date. Um, so if you like superheroines, if you like Marvel comics, if you like Out of Sight meets Mr. and Mrs. Smith, that's the vibe I was going for with the book. Um, so that right. drops then. Right Graveyard power. shit. I think, yeah, that was going in and talking about that in interviews at the moment. It's been really interesting because it's made me very conscious of a generational gap, I think, between um, the people who are interviewing me and the in things that I'm inspired by. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, am I old? Um, <laughs> millennial slasher, The Graveyard Shift drops in September. That oh is God. basically like Scream set in Melbourne. It follows a woman who runs an overnight horror-themed radio show and what she thinks is a prank um, when somebody calls in on Halloween turns out to be somebody getting murdered live on air and a series of murders are happening at pivotal movie locations across Melbourne. If you don't know, now you know, film history-wise, um, Melbourne's one of the birthplaces of cinema. The first feature film ever made came from Melbourne. We're tying all back, baby. And then in November, I have a book called Assassin's Creed Mirage, Daughter of No One, which is a tie-in to the upcoming Assassin's Creed game, um, Mirage. And it follows Roshan, who is Basim's mentor and who people might have seen briefly from the previous games but gets a whole, gets a whole runway, gets a whole real estate worth of uh, fucking story, which we love. Amazing. That's amazing. I'm so excited. And on this show, you can hear Maria's upcoming one-off essay, her one shot, if you like, on Reign of Fire, which I'm very I excited actually about. was just, so there was this big screen conference in Australia recently called Screen Forever. And um, I was chatting mad shit with somebody about some stuff and Rob Bowman, the director came up and um, we had this really in interesting conversation with this fucking amazing screenwriter. And so I'm thinking I might add a little bit of like additional content to the Reign of Fire audio essay because um, we love an update, you know? We love an update. We'd love it to be refreshed. Maz has already written the definitive sort of uh, I guess, account, oral history, if you like, of Reign of Fire. You can, go, uh, you guys can just search that, Maria Lewis, Reign of Fire. I think it's on IGN from memory. Um, so you can, guys can go check that out, but I'll link that in the notes. But you're the best. Thank you so much for just coming in. Thank uh, you. Making us chuckle. We love this. Thanks so much for Thank having you. me. Literally, we love you. My favorite people in the world. I just loved getting to chat collateral with you. Illy. Illy. It feels like such a 20th century movie. It feels like something David Lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency. And even then he might not have succeeded. It's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of Lost, you can just watch 
fearless. <laughs> Not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark. A uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a you know sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And there's something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else has even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I, I truly think what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to many <laughs> properties there are films of his that i hold very dear fearless uh you know uh, the mosquito coast i will fight somebody if they talk bad about the mosquito coast it's man i love that movie but in general i just think he is a special filmmaker a smart lyrical um hallucinatory filmmaker he's a very dreamy filmmaker and i don't think he gets his due you know, Master and Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it. But at the same time, there's a, such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment. In, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along and it is a an old fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That That's the movie that I wanted to see, 10 of those, you know? Yeah, uh, and, you know, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything, and God bless you, but Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I, I am not, uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you, that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're gonna pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.